Bye, kids. Mm. Um, okay. <clears throat> Proverbs. Today's the 24th, so before we get into uh, the message today, you know me, Proverbs 24. Verses 13 and 14. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. I just want to stop right there, but... For it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. That's a good one, isn't it? That's a good one. Um, you know, we're, um, we're in a series right now about love, and uh, with some occasional forays into the subject of sex and dating, but this is particularly about how love falls out in uh, how, how it happens between in a romantic setting between that one and you. And um, before I dive in um, and do the review and get into this week's message, I just want to tell you that in my in my prayer time this morning, just as I was, you know. Um, just talking to the Lord about the overall subject of this topic that we're on, I just this sense came over me that um, you, you need to know that, that as I prepare messages and as I think about what series we're going to do, I've got a list of ideas. I mean, I have a lot um, of, of plans. And most of the time, I don't get to go to that list because something seems to kind of overwhelm me and say, you know, take off on this. I believe it's the Holy Spirit directing sometimes, or every time actually, but I, I think there's something special going on here about this, this particular topic. And it's more, this is more, I wanted you to know that this is more than just you becoming healthy. Many of you are probably mostly all healthy, but this is about more than just that. I think the Lord is up to something special in your circle and sphere of influence. That he wants not just Terry and Lisa to have a a more vibrant, healthy marriage. He wants the people that we have influence with people at the store, people in our neighborhood today, tomorrow, and in two years from now. He wants this, this series, he wants you not just to be healthy, but there is something about your sphere of influence. There's something prophetic about all of this. And I want you to understand, you know, if you, if you look at this series and go, well, okay, I'm going to ride this one out because I'm, maybe I'm, 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 I'm I'm past the age of marrying, and, and uh, my husband has gone, and, and so forth. Th- th- that, that's, those are facts, but that's not the truth. The truth is that the Lord plans to use this in you and through you to bless you and to bless people in your sphere of influence, and you don't know who and where yet. So I want you all to realize that this is something that I believe that is way more potent than just us getting well-grounded on, on uh, love and that relationship. I hope that you can take this to that level. I know you can take these things and let the Holy Spirit work these works in your present relationship and in the relationship that you'll step into at some point, uh, perhaps, if that's the, the pathway you're on. But I hope you can take it to a level beyond. Because the Lord never intends to only bless you as he builds you and shapes you. The Lord is also intending to do something through you. So, so much for my little uh, pre-service rabbit trail diatribe. <laughs> okay? So we've been talking about um, uh, love over the last several weeks, and, and we started out by just, I won't spend a lot of time on this. It, you can get these messages, and they're for free on the website if you didn't get to hear them. Um, but the first one, we talked about the myth of the right person. The myth says this, if I can only find the right person, everything will be Okay? And that's a wonderful, it makes for wonderful cartoons with princes and princesses, and it makes for fairy tale ideas and dreams. But those of us that have gotten to the one found out that there's more that's involved, right? Okay, so we talked about that. It's not just about finding the right person, but it's, it's about us becoming, us becoming the right person for the one who's looking for their right person. Okay, long story. That's, that's a whole sermon. You should get that one. And then we talked about um, how easy it is to fall in love. Falling in love only takes a pulse. Staying in love requires something more, and it requires a plan. It's easier today to fall in love than it's ever been. Um, there are 1,500 organizations in the United States alone that if you fill out an application and send them a fee, they will match you with someone that is right for you. It's easy to fall in love. Staying in love is a little bit more of a challenge. And then I talked about this movie of Juno, uh, this question about th- this girl asked, you know, is it really possible for two people to stay in love and be happy forever? Great question. 
It's purged right on the edge of our society, I believe. And the answer is, yeah, it's possible. But boy, there are some real challenges. You just know the challenges. But there's something in every one of us. We all believe it's possible. You and I all believe it's possible. And in fact, we believe it's possible for us. And that belief, I believe, is the thumbprint of God on your soul. You were hardwired before you were, as you were being crafted in your mother's womb, you were pre-wired, hardwired by the Lord to believe that true because he made you to be that way than to believe those kinds of things. But we found out that it takes more than just attraction. It takes a plan and you've had to stay in love. You've got to make love a verb. That was last week's message. We talked about that. Jesus not only said, I want you to fall in love, um, but I want you to do it in the way I did it. So he kind of stepped up the game. We talk about not just doing it the way we saw it with our parents and the world and the culture. You can't take culture as your example. You have to find Jesus as your culture. Okay, so that gets us up to where we are today. And uh, I'm going to spend some time, uh, another one of Paul's letters. He, he wrote a letter to a group of people in a town called Philippi. And we're going to start off, in, in, we're going to stay in that passage, in a passage in Phil, Philippians. Philippi was a Greek city that was named after Alexander the Great's father, just in case you wanted to know. You know, a little bit of history is good. In case any of my kids ever conquer the world, I expect a city to be named after me. Okay, Terry, so Joseph is here. If you conquer the world, Joe, okay, is that an agreement? What? Okay. <laughs> That's what I get for letting my son speak out loud in a church service. <laughs> Love you, Joe. I'll take Tanino. Henceforth shall be known as Terry. <laughs> But you first have to conquer the world, okay? Then we'll come back to that. Anyway, so Jesus, uh, you know, in this, Paul, Paul's talking about love, and he talks about how we should interface with each other in our relationship. And I want to use these, these verses like a lens. Let's look through these verses and see, as we look at love through the lens of these verses, we're going to find out how, um, how to, t- to uh, be involved in romantic love. And it doesn't matter whether you're hoping or you're waiting, or you're in the courting process, or the dating process, or you're married, or you're married and you're struggling. It doesn't matter. The same lens will work for all of, all of those situations. So as, and as we go along, I just suggest you ask yourself this question. You know, What would it be like? What would my relationship be like if these things were going on? Imagine, what would my relationship, what would my relationship be like? I mean, imagine those things. Now, um, this particular passage is, is Philippians 2, verses, starting in verse 3, is special to me because you know, we've been married th- about 36 years. I'm going to take credit for 36, right? Okay. Hey, thanks. 36 in a row. That's great, honey. <laughs> um, but, but there was a season probably, I'd say, 30 years ago, roughly, that we were really in a strained state our marriage was in real trouble. And a godly man who we went to and we said, help us sort this out because we're in trouble here. And uh, he gave us marriage homework. And one of, one of those bits of homework was to read this passage, this section of scripture out, out loud to each other every day. Just read it out loud every day. And uh, so he gave us a list. <laughs> but this one was there. And so it's, it's special to me. And I, by the way, you don't have to have a marriage in trouble for that to be a worthwhile exercise. If you were only to read one scripture out loud with your, with your spouse, this would be a good one. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. We'll just kind of read down through this. and Today we're going to just work through this passage and talk about what it says, starting in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, if we did just that, we'd be good, right? We'd be, we're doing pretty good right there. This, this, this phrase, selfish ambition, carries actually, the wording here actually carries the idea of competition. So do nothing out of competition. It's like, um, and you can use this in any relationship, not just your, your marriage or your romantic relationship. This, is, this can be your working relationship at work, and you, you can apply this. But basically, this scripture is saying, try to remove from your relationship especially with a person that you're trying to stay in love with, try to remove from them anything having to do with competition. Don't compete with them. Okay, so for example, you don't try to prove you're smarter 
than they are. You don't try to prove that she's dumber than you. You, you don't underscore the fact that as he or she is telling their story that they don't get every detail precisely correct. Um, have you ever seen that? You know, no, honey, no, it was red, not blue. And well, I'm sure it was blue, and it goes on and on. Pretty soon you're thinking, you know, tell the story. I don't care what color it was. Tell the story. And, you know, have you ever seen that in the competition? Is, you know, po- competition with your friends is great. Go for it. Do that. I mean, go, go, go play golf. Go do your com- competing thing. That's fine. But not with the one. You, don't want, you do not need to compete relationally with the one. So it goes on to say, rather in humility, literally this is humility of mind. This is now addressing attitudes. Okay, our attitudes here. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, we're talking about that one special person here especially in, this, in our circumstance. Value others above yourself. Okay, so we translate that and we say, act as if that person is more important than you are. You respond as if they're more important. You initiate as if they're more important. You, you act as if that person is literally more important than you. So now, <laughs> I know when I talk about this in the next few minutes, there could be some occasion for your mind to start flooding you with all kinds of excuses for why you don't need to do that. Go ahead and let those things flood your mind. That's fine. But in the next few minutes, I also believe that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is going to kind of wipe all of those excuses out. So that's a challenge, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, because that's where I went as I was studying this. You know, I'm saying, well, yeah, okay, God, but a, you know. So, so here's what he's trying to teach us about staying in love. Now, this is the most important person that you, that you have in your life. Here's an example. Um, we were at a wedding yesterday in Spokane in the afternoon. And uh, there was a lot of people there, a lot of people there. And I was not the bride. (laughs) So I was not the most important person at that wedding. You all know that the bride is the most important person at a wedding, right? So I was not the bride. I was not the most important person at that wedding. That's an amazing thing, that we accept the fact that the bride is the most important person. What about the groom? I don't know. Um, the deal is, I think there's some, pretty cool, there's some pretty cool things going on in that concept. I think that, that's something. But I was not the most important person at that wedding. Now, I think in the context of that wedding, the bride was the most important person. But to me, the most important person? Right there. Right there, the most important person. And all these people lined up to talk to the bride and the groom and to congratulate them. They, nobody was lining up to talk to me. <laughs> nobody, I, I was just not the most important person. So the way I behaved was, this was an outdoor wedding, so there wasn't a chair for me to stand up when she came in. But you've been to weddings before. Here's the tradition. You, you go and you sit and stuff's going on. And when the mother of the bride notices that she's coming, she stands to her feet. And everybody sees that and they stand to their feet. It's an act of respect. It's an act of saying this is the most important day of her, of her life so far. This is the most important thing that's going on in her life so far. I'm going to stand in respect of this. This is more important than all my stuff right now. I, I didn't have that opportunity. I was already standing. But I stood. I got quiet. I quit talking. I stood back. I, st- I was standing right by the aisle. There was this cool, it was this beautiful outdoor garden. And I was standing right there, and I thought, oh, I need to back away. I don't want to block anybody's view. I don't want to take anybody's perspective. This is not about me. And if I could think that way about my bride all the time, I'd have a better marriage than I do. i got a great marriage right now. I would have a better marriage if I could keep doing that more than I do. I do it quite a bit. I mean, I'm not a slouch at it. But, <laughs> but I mean, I thought specifically, stay out of the way. This, this, is, this woman is more important. Now, I, I want you to understand, we're not talking about human value. We're talking about in the context of that wedding, this bride was more important than me. And in the case we're talking about in this loving relationship, she's more important than me. So as you, as you move about life in this really important relationship, as you come home from work, 
as you take the phone call during the day, you know, that's the sec- setting that I'm talking about. You make every decision as if this person is actually, literally, more important, as they're actually and literally more valuable than you are. You behave that way. Now, that might be pretty major for some of us to, to, to go, okay, wow, I just got hit by a wave, got tumbled in the sand, and I'm not sure which direction is up anymore. That's a lot to ask, Terry. And I know we have some objections to that, con- that concept. It seems fine on, uh, when we read it in the, in, the, in the book here, but then actually living it's a little bit of a different challenge. Okay, so uh, let's just flop some of our objections up on the table. I like to do that. Let's, poke some, let's just poke at this and see if it squeaks, okay? So, so here are some of our objections. One, they're not more important than you are. Jesus loves me just as much. That's a legitimate statement. Okay, that's a legitimate statement. Lisa's not more important than, than me. Jesus loves me just as much as she loves Lisa. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that she's more important than me. He says that I want you to treat them as if they are. It's not dishonest, but he's telling you that's the way you treat them. How would that look? How would that look? Okay, so, all right, if I'm going to treat like she's the most important thing to me, how would that look? Okay, okay, so now in your mind, you think about something that's really, really, really important to you. Really important to you. Okay, so I'll, again, being transparent here, I'll start thinking, okay, it's shiny. It's got... (laughs) It's got four, <laughs> four wheels. Some of you, it's two wheels, okay? Um, and I polish it, and I park it, and I pamper it, and I have this habit. We're going into the mall, the parking lot, and I say, honey, would you like me to drop you at the door, or would you want to go on the long walk with me because I'm parking way out there? It's true. I mean, I just hate door dings. All right, I don't worship the car, all right? I just hate door dings. I, I want to take care of it. Now, what if I treated my wife that way? What if I always made sure that it was properly cared for and polished and bright? You know, there are scriptures that tell us that uh, we're supposed to present our bride in a certain condition. So what if I treated her with the same kind of loving care that I do whatever is really important to me? That's the question to ask yourself. Think about what's important to you and say to yourself, what if I treated this one person that's really important? What if I treated them at least that well? I'm not saying you don't, but that's, that's, that's one objection, not important, more important than me. So another objection is, well, this person doesn't deserve it. If you knew the list of things, you'd say, well, you know, they don't really deserve it. That's the reason why, that's why the reason why you're being asked here. If they deserved it, you would have already calculated that out in your mind and said, this person deserves honor, I will give it to them. That's right, okay? Like this bride that, um, this bride in the wedding. I mean, I know her. She's family. I don't know her intimately. I don't know all of her foibles. I don't know all of her wonderful things. I don't know all that stuff. There was no opportunity, but she was the bride in that circumstance, so I knew she deserved it. But if she didn't deserve it, it didn't matter. I would choose. If you think your person does not deserve it, that's the very reason that the Lord is asking you. Because now you have a decision to make. (laughs) You just have this decision to make. Am I going to love them? Am I going to verb them the way that you have verbed them, love them, Lord? Objection number three, and this is probably the, 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 the most um, impactful for us. I don't really trust that they'll treat me right. I think if I do this with this person, they're going to completely leverage this to their, to their advantage and my disadvantage. That's a legitimate concern. And this one really gets to the heart, maybe, for many of us, because this one speaks to our own struggles. Our own struggles. The ones that are hard for us to see, the ones that are hard for us to deal with, for example, if I am going to do this, treat her like she's more important, and I'm struggling some with control, if I've got control issues, it's going to be really hard for me to overcome my control issues because I've got to give some of those up or insecurities, or maybe it's hard to do because of wounds and hurts that are in here 
put here by the one. Those are all legitimate concerns. And, you know, I know that as I bring up a message like this in a, in a, in a sermon, that for some of you, the legitimate wounding that's in your soul that you carry with you from this person make th- this concept of treating them as if they're more important in, in, almost into the realm of the impossible because you've been wounded so deeply. I, I want to say a couple things to you about that. As hard as that is, this, you have to come up with a better approach than God's if you won't follow the Lord's. You have to say, okay, I've got to find a different way to build love with this person because because I can't do it God's way. I mean, that's really what the the equation is. Hebrews 11:6 says this, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11:6 is a wonderful place to uh, tie your boat to in a storm because there are just circumstances you can't control. Situations with your relationships, some things that stir in your soul and you just can't control them. And the Lord says there's a place where you have to trust me, my word and my ways. And in these cases, the real agent of change is not you anyway. You realize it's the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to trust the Lord in this. So God asks us to treat them as if they're more important. It's your choice. It has nothing to do with whether they've earned it or not and everything to do with the choice you make within your own heart. Have you ever seen a couple that's really in love? If, you, if you've ever seen a couple who are really in love, you will see this present in them. You will see them, in spite of their, their hurts, in spite of their bumps and their heartaches and the things that every couple walks through, every couple walks through, you will see that they've chosen to get to this place. They understand the principle. You treat the one that you love not based on how they behave and how they respond, but you choose every day, every day, today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day, to treat them as if they're more valuable. They're, 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 you, they're more valuable than the bride at the wedding. They're more valuable than your boss, more important than your boss, more important than your golf, club, golf buddies. They're more important than everybody else. And so, so what are some practical examples of deferring to them? For example, you don't interrupt them and say, no, 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 that's not how it happened. That's one example. <laughs> okay. Um, that's the one that the Lord's been working me over on in the last week especially. You don't have to correct them. You don't pat them on the back and say, hey, stri- sit straight. You mean, you don't have to do, do those kinds of things. Those are practical examples of, of showing them. Instead, you show them respect. You let them tell their stories wrong. You let them do it. Because, <laughs> because the exact correctness of the details isn't the point of the story. There's an experience, an emotion to be shared. So you let them tell their stories. You let them sip their coffee and make that slurping noise. You let them chew gum and do their whatever they think. You know, you, 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 those are simple things. They're simple things. If you want to stay in love, if you want to stay in love, then you treat them every day like they're more valuable because you're deciding every day to treat them like they're more valuable. You know, and for most of us, I mean, I, I would say all, but that's too sweeping. But for most of us, there was a day when we actually felt that way. Early in the relationship, you treated them that way. It was present. Might still be present. I hope it is. Now, um, we're going to not spend a lot of time on emotion, emotions today. Um, and I realize that there are emotions involved in this topic. We'll come to that as we continue in the series because, frankly, emotions are the enemy to a lot of this. Our emotions make us not feel like doing this, right? So we'll come to that. That's future. I just want to acknowledge, <laughs> acknowledge that that's going on. And uh, so, okay, so back to the passage. That's verse 4. Now, looking, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In other words, don't only get focused on the things you're interested in. That's pretty straightforward. Give time, attention, and energy to the things that interest them. Now, that's hard for us to do because I'm interested in the things I'm interested in. And I'll, I'm going to give you an example. Um, 
when I first met Lisa in the halls at high school, um, I decided I was going to chase this girl. And um, she was in a completely different academic world than I was in. You know, she, 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 took, she took metal shop and horticulture. Okay? That's kind of a surprising. She, welding. She knows how to weld. I don't. It's been a while, hasn't it, honey? Yeah, okay. So I'm at the other end of the building. I'm learning chemistry and physics and the stuff that's a world apart. When, and her interest was horticulture. Horticulture, I can't even say the word, is this science where you plant something in the ground and cultivate it, okay? Why would you want to do that unless you can eat it? I don't know. Um, But that's the world she was interested in, and I decided to chase this girl. How do I do that? Then I'm going to have to get interested in things. So I remember actually following her around. This was at Olympia High School. There was a greenhouse. I don't even know if they got one anymore, but there was this greenhouse, and she was like the teacher's pet, and so when there wasn't stuff going on, she'd be in there doing stuff in the greenhouse and watering and caring for things, and I could just follow her around. And I took an interest in what she was interested She clearly had a passion about this. Now she's a master gardener doing all those kinds of things. You know, she has a passion about things that grow. She has a passion about taking this miracle, sticking this little thing into the ground, and pretty soon this beautiful flower erupts. She has a passion about that. She has a passion about this variety and this. So I started just following her around the greenhouse and asking questions. Summertime comes, school's shut down for the summer. Who gets a key as a high school student to the school? She gets a key to the school so she can maintain the plants that are in the greenhouse. So I follow her around. I follow her around. I actually decided to become interested in something that previous to that I had zero interest in it. I, you know, the, all I knew about biology was what you could see in a microscope or in, you know, photosynthesis works like this. That interested me. But to actually see the plant, do it? No, I don't care about that. That's probably because I had this aversion to plants from being forced to weed as a little kid, but nevertheless for that. <laughs> so the point is this. I had a decision to make. If I want to pursue relationship, do I make her come to my side of way of seeing things? Do I make her get interested in my interests? Or do I make a choice? And what do I do with her interests? Do I ignore them? Do I criticize them? Do I make fun of them? Do I round up them? Do I be neutral? Do I say that's her deal, not my deal? I mean, what do I do? And, and, and for me, am I going to be rude? What am I going to do about her interests? Or am I going to proactively decide to value the things that are interesting to her? Am I going to verb her love? Am I going to make love a verb? This is making love a verb. Am I going to do those things? Or am I just going to put up with them? Here's a couple other examples, and you guys can come and make fun of me after church if you want. But, you know, Project Runway... TV show. I like that show now. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, so, so it's not the kind of show that I would sitting going, "Hey, I got to get home," you know, because I'm I'm going to miss Project Runway. But okay, the truth is, you see some really weird people do some amazing things with fabric. <laughs> My wife is laughing at me at this moment. Okay, so a friend of ours, Laurel Gonzalo, had a son who happened to be one of the contestants. And if you know the show, Andre got bounced off the show for trying to make a skirt out of turf. Nevertheless, okay, just like it sounds, grass. He tried to make a skirt out of it. They bounced him off the show for that. Isn't that the one that, anyway, so the show took some interest from me as I started to watch it with my wife who had an interest in the topic, and I began to garner my own interest. Imagine that. Common interest between a husband and a wife. Imagine, imagine sharing an interest with the one you love. It's a good thing. Even if you can't admit to your buddies that you watch Project Runway, okay? <laughs> you have to be a real man to admit that you watch Project <laughs> Runway. <laughs> I'm a man, and I own poodles to prove it, right? (laughs) Okay, another example is drag racing, or any form of racing. 
And if I fail to bring this up today, then my wife won't go to the drag races with me. But now she's shamed into going to do the drag races with me. Now the same thing. Lisa has, has really very little interest in things that make 3,000 decibels and shake the ground when they launch off. I mean, I love that kind of stuff. Don't, doesn't everybody? I mean, I don't get why they don't. Okay, very little interest. But Lisa has taken time to go with me to the drag races. Not because, you know, there's something for me. When I really love something, I want to share my sense about that with the persons, the people that are close to me and important. She realizes that. There's something special about letting your loved one express their passions with you. So, the drag races, you know, so it's loud, it's hot, it's smelly, it's loud, it's hot, it's, it's perfect. It's the perfect hot dogs, greasy food, it's loud, it's hot, it's smelly. It's perfect. It's like growing up playing in the mud. It's wonderful. And the result is that in most cases when you start to do this, your common interests will intersect more and more. And you've gained this good thing. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love requires some activity. Now, maybe you think some of this is too hard and you've got this, this deal with your, with, your, um, with your spouse or you've got this deal where you say, okay, well, we've got this thing split 50-50. I'll go to three of your deals, you come to three of my deals, and maybe that is an equitable arrangement that works for you. And that's a starting point. But if that's where you camp out and stay, what you've got is a contract. You've got, you've got basically a business arrangement that's like what you do with your business partner or your roommate. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something different here. I'm talking about something that goes way beyond that. Just when we think we've got a bunch of excuses and exceptions, Paul gets us to verse 5, and he says, you know, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus' command, which we talked about last week. He says, okay, I want you to love, but when you do it, love the way I love, okay? So, so Paul's in there wiping off all of our excuses, and he says, okay, so verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Approach your relationship with him or her in the same way that he approached his relationship with you and me. Now, this is, a, this is an imperative. It's a command, okay? It's a make-it-or-break-it statement. Who being in very nature God, this means that when Jesus walks into the room, God has come into your room, and believe me, he is the most important one, <laughs> Okay? In nature, God, he's the most important one. Everywhere he went all the time, wherever he showed up, he's the most important person. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Wow! That's mind-boggling. He never walked around and said, hey, 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 you know, I really want to sit there. Could you guys move? I got my guys with me. Could you all scoot over and make room for me and my posse? He never did that. How fun, would it, how fun would it be to be Jesus for a day with no consequences? I mean, just, wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, this is, I don't mean to be sacrilegious. This is not meant to be. Maybe I shouldn't do this. It's like, wow, hey, you're healed. Oh, you're not. Oh, hey, you, I'm taking that disease off you. Here, you can have that, Herod. How does that feel? You know what I mean? Okay, I mean, how fun would it be to be Jesus for just a day? But he never leveraged all of that stuff for himself. That's the reason I never get to be Jesus for a day. <laughs> he never leveraged. He loved so deeply. Leveraging that for himself was never an issue for him. He could have. He had every right to do those things. And he never once did. Another translation says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Give me that, that's mine. He never did that. He never pulled the I'm God lever. The I'm God button. <laughs> he never leveraged who he was to his own selfish advantage. And I know there are circumstances where you were, the, you were there first. I, I know, you know you've had a hard day. I know, you've, I know she promised you these things. I know all of those things. You have your rights. But the word of God here is asking us not to push the lever. It's asking us not to pull the lever on our rights, to push the it's my right button. It's because that's how your Savior decided to, to minister with you. That's the reason Paul can challenge us and, and why he's so grateful and why I need to be grateful and you need to be grateful that that's what the Lord chose. You know, one of the things that I think 
has hurt Christianity um, is, now stay with me on this, because some of you might want to get mad at me, <laughs> but I think it's been the way that a certain topic has been mistaught, or better, better stated, it's been taught, then pulled out of context and isolated, although it's important that it's part of an overall package. It's the, the teaching that says, wives, submit yourself to your husband. You know, yeah, that phrase is in the Word of God. It's there. But it's in part of an overall package. It's overall complex. The actual teachings that if you teach through and read through the Word of God, you'll find that's true, that it's there. But you'll find that there's mutual submission being taught in the New Testament. Mutual submission. You know, every so often I'll be with a couple and the guy will say, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say, wives submit? Isn't she supposed to submit to me? And I'll say, you know what? Yeah, that's in there. But listen, here's the overall package. Here's, that's, that's what the Lord is saying to her. You know, he's saying some other things to you in that context. He tells you to love her the way Christ loved the church. Okay, what does that mean? Well, Christ loved the church so much that all the stuff in these last sermons, plus he laid his life down. You should be, you know, you're going to be so busy if you're trying to do that, the part that he's saying to you. You're going to be so busy doing that, you won't have any time to worry about whether she's submitting to you. And you won't have the heart to care about it. Now, I don't want to stand up here and start doing marriage counseling with a shotgun approach, and I'm not making these statements. But I'm just saying that particular teaching has been really harmful to Christianity because maturity gets in there before it's ready to understand the bigger, broader concepts. And any time you take a sentence out of the Word of God, out of context... You might as well like, you know, it's like cooking without just pulling stuff out of the recipe or, you know, rebuilding your engine, guys, and just leaving out some of the bolts or, um, you know, building some furniture from Ikea and just leaving out the instructions and pulling off some of the things. You've ever tried that? I'm not relating at all. Okay, try this example. It's like, it's like filling out your income tax return and deciding not to uh, you follow all the IRS instructions. Let's see. If I go to their tables, it says the taxes are $8,712. Skip that step. Put in $89.12 for your taxes instead. See how that works out for you, okay? So, so anytime you take a phrase out of Scripture and say, oh, I love it, right? From here till here, I'm going to hold that. But you cut all this other stuff off, that's risky. It's just a risky thing to do. And I think that that teaching has gone. I, I needed to bring that topic here because I don't want anybody to say, well, I don't need to submit, or I submit a little bit less than she does. Because that would be out of context. Okay. So we frequently have the right to, uh, we, think, we think about our right to pull our lever, our, our rights lever, but Jesus never did. Okay, back to verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself. It literally means he emptied himself. He took, he took all of himself and he emptied it out. He said, here's, here's my rights, my rank, my power. I pour it all out. <laughs> and that's how Paul tells us we're supposed to approach relationships. Now, in my, in my observations, what I've seen when I see couples that are in love, I, I see that they've emptied themselves of their rights concerning their spouse. They just have, I've just seen that, I think. Anyway, back to the scripture. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, wow. You know, I like to, at that point, say, but Jesus, you know, you can't be a servant. You're, you're God. But he says, hey, I made a choice, Terry. I realize I'm God. And you may not picture me as capable of becoming your servant, Terry, but I made a choice. Wow. Because love is a verb. I've made a decision, Terry. I love you. And being founded in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Humbled there, it actually means submitted himself. He placed himself under. He placed himself under you, not because he had to, but because he chose to. That's what love looks like. And placing himself under can look in different ways in your circumstances. It might mean you come home early. It might mean you take that call a little different during the middle of the day. I mean, those kinds of things. You talk about your feelings. Okay, uh, back to the scripture, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So how far did he take all this? <laughs> right up till 
He died for us. This is the reason. When we say to people, Jesus died for your sins, that phrase can be really a mystery to the world. They hear, Jesus died for your sins. They don't think they're a sinner, first off. And secondly, having somebody die for their sins, they just don't get it sometimes. But here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma that Jesus was working through. He had a choice. He could maintain his place in heaven, his authority, his rank, his power, keep all of that intact. And the cost would be he would never, ever have a relationship with you, ever, ever. In order to have a relationship with you, he had to give all that up, his rank, all that he had coming to him himself, and actually submit himself to you. He realized that he can't have it both ways. So for him to have a relationship with us, he had to give up his deal and make your deal priority. Your needs have priority over Jesus' rights. It's an amazing concept. It's an amazing painting of love. It's an amazing connection that we don't naturally run to. He couldn't have it both ways. And here's something, here's our news flash. We can't have it both ways either. If you want the kind of relationship that you desire, you face this exact same dilemma. You can't demand what you deserve. You can't demand your rights. And at the same time, make this other person more important. You just can't do it. You can't have it both ways. Our culture says you can have it both ways, but eventually everybody discovers that you can't. Our culture wants to paint the picture that you can't, but eventually everybody discovers that you can't. That kind of love... Um, makes, you, makes you eventually get to the place where you say no to yourself. And that's the, ad, that's the attitude we're looking for, and that's humanity. Is this risky? Yeah. But is it worth it? Yes. Does it always work? No. It doesn't. This is not a formula. It doesn't always work. It's, it, here's here's my, my, my text proof for that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that all would be saved. But are they all saved? No. Many people reject the Lord. It doesn't always work. So it's risky, but is it worth it? Yeah. What kind of a relationship do you want? What are you looking for as you get into that relationship? To stay in love and to build your love, you have to adopt the same kind of attitudes that Jesus adopted towards you and me. You know, you can spend the next 10 years if you want to winning your arguments, proving you're always right, getting all that kind of stuff, and then what you'll have is a list of victories. Or you can say, my goal isn't a bunch of victories. My goal is this person. My goal is this person's heart. My goal is this. And when you find that, you stay in love and you find out that it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, I've, you've been out in public. You have to have seen this at times. You've seen couples struggling. Maybe one of them is just driving down and nagging the other one or something or overcorrecting and controlling. And you'll see it. You'll see it in the stores. You, you see it. And you think, I mean, I, I see those kinds of things. And I think, man, I would never want to be in that relationship with that person. I would never want that. And I'm thinking, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't demand your rights. So you have to decide, would you rather be always right? <laughs> or would you rather be in love? <laughs> Sounds cynical. I don't mean for it to be. Uh, am I going to be in love or am I going to be the one that always has to explain things and supervise them and correct them? Because when you do those things, it kills the intimacy. It just drives it away. Correcting and all of that, it just drives them away. But if you can imagine, you're in a relationship where you are treated all the time like you're the most important person. It's like a giant magnet. It's like, it's like those Swiffer commercials where the guy goes and gets stuck to the... I obviously watch too much TV. 
<laughs> but true mutual submission facilitates love and drives it deeper and deeper and deeper. It does. There will still be bumps. There will still be scraped knees and disagreements. You'll still have some of that. But when they happen, your thinking is going to be different. You'll have a positive response to the scrapes and your bumps. You'll think, I can't believe she did that. I must not understand something about this because that's not her heart. There must be something. We, we're going to have to talk this out, and I'm sure it's going to get straightened out. Instead of, don't you do that to me. You owe me. You know, instead of that, I mean, your, your attitude, your viewpoint is different when the bumps come. I want you to imagine that relationship because that's the one not just that I want you to have. That's, that's what God wants you to have. That's what this book is trying to lead you towards and draw you into. So Jesus would say to us, don't take your cue from what you see around you. Don't take your cue from mom and dad. Don't take your cue from the world, but take your cue from what I did for you. And as you, I want to say this as we wrap up and as we conclude today, that as you love the person in this way, the most important relationships in your life, you're going to find out this is a game changer. It's a life changer. This concept will change your relationship. Now, if, if you're dating somebody and they really don't get this, please be careful. Please be careful with giving away your heart. If you're a future dater, put this in your filter. Put it right up front. Do not hook yourself up with the most self-centered person in the world. Because if they can't make you the most important person in the world, they, you will never be in love. You may have chemistry, but it won't last. If you're engaged with someone who just won't explore these possibilities, be careful. If you're married, I need to say to you, be really careful with what, what you've heard today because this is not a problem solver that I've just shared with you. This is about how to stay in love. That's different. This is not a problem solver. And um, so I just wanted to say that to you. If you're having struggles in a marriage, this is the appropriate thing to do, but... There's more about problem solving than just that. So, okay, so as we move forward, we're going to be talking more about emotions over the next couple of weeks. I want to pray with you about learning to stay in love. So let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for um, your matchless love. It's hard for us to understand, Lord, why you had to die for our sins. It seems like a formula. It seems like the formula that we've seen in movies that say, well, God requires a sacrifice and that's the penalty being paid. That's the premium being paid. It's like, so if we throw a virgin off into the volcano, you'll be okay with us for a while and it just assuages your, your, your anger over us. God, that's so not you. That is so the wrong end of this spectrum. Help us to under, Thank you for helping us to understand, Lord, that your love is so long and so deep and so wide that you would choose to lay down your rights to make us the most important. That, Lord, our biggest need is our separation from you. And that, Lord, to solve that problem, you laid everything down. That's the way to love. God, I want two things. I want to thank you for that model for our relationships with our really, really... Um, those really special relationships, Lord, that we're to, to verb love them. God, help us to, to rise to that in our soul. I pray, Lord, over marriages, and I ask, Lord, not just for marriages present, but any relationship that could go that way. And I ask, Lord, for you to help us to remember and to see examples and to be sensitive to your voice as you would signal us about these moments, these places that, that our natural reaction would be to leap out and say, no, 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 it was red, not blue, or places where we would want to correct or supervise, but instead that we would just hold off on pulling the I'm right lever and allow, Lord, something of life to flourish in that heart. That, Lord, it's not some sort of a sacrifice to integrity, it's just a laying down of my own rights. It's just a laying down of the value of always having to have things seen through my viewpoint. 
Instead, Lord, I want to see them through the viewpoint of this other person who's the most important person in the world. I pray, Lord, over marriages that you would signal those, those, those concepts and over, over our hearts, Lord. And I pray, God, that for people present who may have, have hurt each other by doing those things, that, God, that there would just be an isolating, something, something that, Lord, your spirit would just do by grace and by gift, that you would isolate those things and let us find a way, Lord, to start again with those issues. I pray for a fresh start, Lord, for people that maybe have done that a little bit too much. Lord, a fresh start. And God, for people who don't know you, they just don't know you, Lord. I pray, God, um, that your spirit would circulate in souls this moment. This idea of the God that requires a sacrifice, no. It's a God who chooses to, instead of requiring a sacrifice on our part to pay our price, you chose, you chose to sacrifice your part. I pray, Lord, right now, if there is anyone in this room or that hears this, these words that has never opened their heart and said, I, I accept the love. I accept the love. I pray, Lord, right now for there to be um, a, new, a new place of relationship with you. Keep your eyes closed, please, church. If you have never opened your heart to the Lord and said, I accept the gift of his love. I accept the gift of eternal life. I accept the gift of relationship that I can't get any other way. Thank you, Jesus. If that's what you're saying in your heart, I want to just agree with you. Would you look up at me? And just I'm not going to single you out or do anything else. But the word says you need to have, you need to share this with someone. It could be just a, a look. So if you're opening your heart to the Lord, would you just look up at me real quick? Thank you, Lord. Is that why you're looking? Hmm? Okay. Well, Lord, I want to thank you for your spirit. I just want to thank you for the sweetness of your spirit. Lord, I pray over relationships here, and I ask that this, these relationships in this place will be filled with life and love. In Jesus' name.